From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my co-host, producer and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I am doing wonderful. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, you know, during the grand opening of Disneyland on July 17th, 1955, reporters criticized Walt because the park was not fully complete. And a reporter asked, when will Disneyland be finished? And Walt's answer has become famous and often quoted. Disneyland will never be completed as long as there is imagination left in the world. Marty Scalar said, it was then time for Walt and Disneyland to walk the talk. And he explained, Walt Disney never hesitated. To keep an operation like Disneyland going, you have to pour it in there. Walt said from the start, it's what I call keeping the show on the road. You have to keep throwing it in. You can't sit back and let it ride. Walt Disney already had plans to expand his park, and in this episode, we're going to continue our celebration of Disneyland's 65th anniversary with a look at some of Walt's plans that were conceived but never built in this installment of our ongoing series, Disney Neverland, the Disney that never was. The backstage area off of Main Street USA had been left for future expansion. As early as 1956, Walt Disney planned for the areas off to the side of Main Street USA to feature a series of alleyways and streets to be themed to exotic and international environments. Formerly billed as a coming attraction, International Street had a sign erected off to the right of Town Square next to the Maxwell Coffee House. Today, it's the Disney Showcase Shop. And there would be an arcade beginning across from where the Mad Hatter shop is today. It would have led to that area. Under the sign, guests could look through holes to see models and get a sneak peek of the new expansion, which was just a view of the model for International Street, since no concept art or illustrations had been completed for the area. International Street would have provided guests with immersive recreations of popular European destinations in architectural styles, such as an English pub and a Danish toy shop, where guests could shop and dine. The 1957 The Complete Guide to Disneyland showed that International Street had become International Land on an empty plot of land between Fantasyland and Tomorrowland, about where the Matterhorn sits today. However, it was delayed and finally canceled due to a lack of funds. Instead, Walt Disney focused on finishing Tomorrowland, a realm that had been hastily put together shortly before the park's debut. The idea of International Street would inspire the international shopping area of Walt's Epcot City and ultimately the World Showcase of Epcot Center. So there is a bit of Walt's spirit and his ideas for Disneyland's International Street in Epcot today. But Walt did not forget that expansion area adjacent to Main Street USA, but his plans for it changed. Walt Disney was a patriot, as he demonstrated throughout much of his life, especially when he devoted much of his studio's resources to the war effort, both home and abroad during World War II, and his depictions of American life in Disneyland's Main Street USA and Frontierland. Family discussions around the Disney dinner table were often about the founding of the United States 
and its history. And Walt believed there was an era that Americans did not fully understand or appreciate, the colonial and revolutionary war eras, and of the sacrifices people made to form our country. Walt wanted to create a land that would instill a pride and understanding of our country's history. So Walt announced this new land in 1956, and that it was scheduled to open in the fall of 1957 to coincide with the release of Disney's live-action feature film, Johnny Tremaine. In 1957, when International Street was supposed to open, its sign was replaced with a new one announcing Liberty Street with an opening date of 1958. Guests would enter Liberty Street exactly as they would have International Street and be completely immersed in colonial America of 1775. The architecture would be a mixture of several American cities as they existed during the nation's 18th century. There would be cobblestone streets along its length. Some concept designs show 13 buildings paying tribute to the original 13 colonies with a mixture of buildings from several cities of that era. Liberty Street would feature merchants and trades that thrived in colonial America. There would be a blacksmith shop, an apothecary, glassmaker, a weaver, a print shop, insurance office, silversmith, and cabinet maker. Not only would guests get to purchase from a blacksmith shop or an apothecary, but Walt envisioned the sellers also practicing these crafts inside the stores as well. The original outline for the project stated that the audience will walk around the street towards Independence Hall, where the Liberty Bell would be constantly tolling. At the end of the cul-de-sac would be the Liberty Tree and Liberty Hall. Liberty Hall, also called Independence Hall in some versions of the project, was the centerpiece of Liberty Square and served as the entrance to two major attractions in this land the Hall of the Declaration of Independence, and Hall of the Presidents of the United States. A large foyer with dioramas depicting famous scenes of the Revolutionary War period would be the common entrance to the two large attraction auditoriums. The Hall of the Declaration of Independence was designed to present the dramatic story of the birth of the United States through three scenes that were based on three famous paintings. The theater would capture the feel of the time period with a colonial architectural style. There would be bench-like pews that could seat up to 500 guests. Overhead, 13 stars representing the original 13 colonies would light the auditorium. These scenes would be three framed settings with three-dimensional sculpted life-sized human figures in costume. It was hoped the figures would move realistically, but in limited fashion. The narration included quotes from the Declaration of Independence and would tell the story and historical significance of each tableau, along with dramatic lighting and music. Theatrical curtains would open and close on each scene. The first scene was inspired by the painting The Drafting of the Declaration of Independence by J.L.G. Ferris. The scene has Benjamin Franklin and John Adams in consultation with Thomas Jefferson as he drafted the Declaration of Independence. As the curtain closed, another opened to showcase the second scene based on the painting Signing of the Declaration of Independence by John Trumbull. When revealed, the third scene would be based on the painting Ringing of the Liberty Bell by Henry Mosler. But the paintings weren't all the attraction had to offer. There would also be a replica of the Declaration of Independence for guests to view. In the original plans for Liberty Street, the Hall of the Declaration of Independence was listed as the only attraction. As plans developed a second attraction, the Hall of the Presidents of the United States was added. The Hall of the Presidents of the United States would present a show titled One Nation Under God, 
and would be a theater presentation of the mighty cavalcade of American history. This was before audio-animatronics technology, so the presidents represented in the attraction would have been wax figures. In the Hall of Presidents of the United States Auditorium, the stage lights would brighten and the curtains would partially open to reveal life-size sculpted and costume figures of the then 34 presidents of the United States. They would all be in silhouette except for the main figure. The main United States president in this show would not have been Abraham Lincoln, but George Washington. Martial music would come up as lights played on the features of Washington, creating a feeling of reality. Narrations of the trials, decisions, and formation of America's heritage were to be complemented by excerpts from presidential speeches. At the conclusion, all the nation's presidents would be seen on the enormous stage against a rear-projected image of the United States Capitol building as clouds panned across the sky and a music finale closed the show. Walt also planned to showcase a model of the Capitol building made entirely out of stone. Walt had purchased it from artist George L. Lloyd, who had carved it from a single piece of limestone. It is not known how much Walt paid for it, but it has been reported that Mr. Lloyd lived off the proceeds of the sale till his passing in 1962. The model can now be seen in Disneyland's Main Street Opera House in the pre-show area for Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. Liberty Street was an ambitious project. As Imagineers began working on audio-animatronics technology, the Liberty Street sign was changed to announce an opening date of 1959. In 1960, the Hills Brothers Coffee Garden, which had replaced the Maxwell Coffee House, put up its sign in place of the Liberty Street sign, and the sneak preview area became the outdoor seating area for the coffee garden. Today, this is a character meet-and-greet area. Clearly, Walt had a lot of passion for Liberty Street. So why didn't he build it? Well, Walt also had a passion and belief in a great big beautiful tomorrow. And his attention, and perhaps more importantly, his money, turned towards three attractions that debuted in his park in 1959. His Highway in the Sky, the Disneyland Allwake Monorail System, the Matterhorn Bobsleds, the world's first steel roller coaster, and the first to allow multiple cars to run simultaneously on the same track, and the submarine voyage through liquid space, the park's first three e-ticket attractions. However, development on the attractions for Liberty Street continued. Wed was working on a prototype of President Lincoln, a president Walt had admired since he was a boy, for the Hall of Presidents attraction when Robert Moses, who was promoting the 1964-65 New York World's Fair and looking for potential attractions, arranged a meeting with Walt at the studio. Walt introduced Robert Moses to the figure, or rather, Walt arranged for Lincoln to introduce himself to Moses, which convinced Moses he had to have Lincoln in his fair. After much work, Moses arranged for the state of Illinois to help pay for the development of the figure for its pavilion at the fair. The wink and blink and Lincoln thrilled audiences. Many visitors to the pavilion were convinced it was a live actor. A second, slightly improved version of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln opened at Disneyland on July 18, 1965, just steps from where the entrance to Liberty Street was planned. After the fair closed, work on Liberty Street was dropped, and Liberty Street was removed from the Disneyland Souvenir Fun Maps in 1966. Walt had bigger projects in mind, including moving the attractions he had developed for the World's Fair to Disneyland. 
New Orleans Square with its shops, dining, and attractions, and the Florida Project, which was a closely guarded secret within the studio at the time. When the Florida Project became Walt Disney World, Imagineering revived the idea of Liberty Street, turning it into Liberty Square. Although a smaller version of Walt's original concept, it captures the spirit of Walt's Liberty Street. The Hall of Presidents script and some of the actual recordings in the original version of the show that opened in 1971 were done under Walt's personal supervision for the Disneyland Liberty Street project around 1960. Even into the early 1980s, Imagineers were still trying to find a place for some concepts of Liberty Street between Main Street USA and Tomorrowland at Disneyland, but it never got past some concept illustrations. Main Street USA, Frontierland, and Liberty Street were not the only ideas Walt had for Disneyland's American adventure. Walt also had plans for Edison Square, a land built off the central plaza or hub in between Tomorrowland and Main Street, USA, where the child care center is today. The entrance would have been next to the Red Wagon Inn, today the Plaza Inn, and would have showcased the rise of electricity in America in the early 20th century, and would have transitioned the small town USA of Main Street into the American city cul-de-sac at the turn of the century. After the opening of Disneyland, General Electric's Lamp Division had visited Walt at WED to discuss the possibilities of supporting an attraction at Disneyland. Whilst they were clear about what they wanted to advertise, they left it to Walt's storytelling skills to come up with an appropriate showcase. And that showcase was Edison Square. Edison Square would have extended Main Street USA and allowed the streetcars, omnibuses, and Main Street vehicles another area to transport guests. The horse-drawn carriages on Main Street at the time would not have ventured into Edison Square. Edison Square was designed to be a tribute to Thomas A. Edison, a prolific American inventor who not only changed the face of the world and the course of history, but also invented many of the technologies which helped Walt bring his stories to life including the motion picture camera, recorded music, and the phonograph. A proposal booklet was prepared in 1958 for General Electric by WED, with artwork by Sam McKim, Herb Ryman, and Paul Hartley, who was in charge of the graphics department, in two colors on good stock paper detailing the project to convince General Electric executives to sponsor the expansion and to put up the funds necessary to build Edison Square. In the promotional booklet, Walt explained his vision for this area. Edison Square in Disneyland will dramatically present the story of the way in which one invention by Thomas A. Edison has influenced the growth and development of America. Edison Square is the story of that era, the birth, growth, and development, and future of electricity and General Electric products. Located just a few steps from Main Street, Edison Square will be the passing of the old of the 19th century to the new of the 1900s. As they enter Progress Place in Edison Square, well, they will find that progress is our most important product. Visitors will see two separate plaques on which General Electric symbol and appropriate words setting forth the theme of Edison Square will appear. Inside the buildings, General Electric's theatrical productions will be staged for Disneyland visitors. Edison Square will be alive and vital. Disneyland's horseless carriages and surreys will travel up and down. Main Street will move in and out of the area. Such annual Disneyland special events as the Horseless Carriage Day Parade and the Easter Parade will be a part of Edison Square. The square itself will be architecturally landscaped, befitting the turn of the century. It will contain the new electric lamps, iron grill work, hitching posts, and other signs of the times. 
All the windows in the buildings will be authentically dressed and specially lighted to carry out the atmosphere of the area. Several distinct architectural styles would be represented in Edison Square, including the red-bricked buildings of Philadelphia, the brownstones of New York City, the gray stones of Chicago, the ornate Victorian Queen Anne wooden structures found in St. Louis and San Francisco, and Boston's distinct colonial brick buildings. As guests entered Edison Square, they would pass beneath the Edison Arch Marquee. They would most likely notice the life-size statue of Thomas Edison that Walt wanted showcased in the center of the square. Edison Square would feature one attraction, the harnessing of the lightning show that would be performed in a hidden horseshoe theater with multiple stages inside the buildings at the far end of the cul-de-sac of Edison Square. In four acts, guests would view mini-shows led by the narrator named Wilbur K. for Kilo Watt, who would welcome guests into his turn-of-the-century home and discuss the technology that was in use during that time and demonstrating how GE had made the future brighter and better. The show would cover more than 40,000 square feet of lobby, theaters, and GE product display area. According to the promotional brochure prepared for GE, our narrator, Wilbur K. Watt, is an incredible electromechanical man. As he rocks back and forth in his armchair, he describes the scene we see on the stage. It is almost as though Mr. Watt were alive, for his movements are synchronized and lifelike as he describes the play. According to Imagineer John Hench, this project was inspired by Thornton Wilder's Our Town, but we changed it all because the original play had no sets, just a bare stage, a brick wall at the back of the theater in New York. It was really quite a touching play. I saw it three times, I think. I came back and told Walt, I thought that's what we should do for General Electric. Walt saw Our Town at least three times when it was performed in Los Angeles and also enjoyed the play. During the pre-show, guests would view five full-dimensional dioramas, similar to those proposed for Liberty Street, which, by making use of specialized lighting and animated effects, these dioramas were to come to life, recreating various dramatic scenes from Edison's life. The climax of this pre-show would be the 40-hour watch, a diorama that showed Thomas Edison and his associates finally achieving their ultimate goal, creating the first incandescent lamp that burned for 40 consecutive hours back in 1879. As the lights dimmed on that diorama, special Disney-created theme music, lighting effects, and voice recordings were supposed to signal to the audience that it's time for Act 1. So the 125 guests who were assembled in the Harnessing the Lightning lobby area would then walk into the first theater. Where the footlights would now come on, the curtains would pull back, and a stage show with Wilbur K. Watt would begin. The audience would stand on a four-tiered platform, with each tier separated by continuous railing. When the scene was finished on the first stage, the lights would dim and automatic doors would open to allow guests to move into the next area to see the next scene, whilst another group was funneled in behind them to see the first act. There were a total of four acts lasting a total of 15 minutes. After the final act, the guests would enter an epilogue room showcasing GE products. Walt envisioned that this show would handle 2,125 guests per hour, or 25,000 guests per day, a total comparable to the daily capacity of Radio City Music Hall, and equal to the total ride capacity of Disneyland's most popular attraction of the day, Adventureland's Jungle Cruise. 
The playbill for the show, done in period-appropriate lettering with silhouetted pointing hands and other flourishes, read, General Electric presents Edison Square, Disneyland, USA. An astounding dramatization. Harnessing the lighting. A story of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A feast for eye and ear in four great acts with prologue and epilogue. Mr. Wilbur K. Watt, the incredible electric man supported by a most amazing cast of 50 marvelous electromechanical personalities that sing, dance, and talk. Wilbur K. Watt was a precursor to the audio-animatronic figures Wed would create within a few years. The electromechanicals for this attraction would be the type of simple figures with limited repetitive movements, like the friendly Native American chief lifting his arm on the shores of the rivers of America, or the unfriendly natives at the end of the jungle cruise lifting their spears menacingly. However, Walt hoped that with strong storytelling, dramatic lighting, further technological developments, and limited time for each act, that the use of electromechanical figures would be effective. In addition, John Hench had suggested that the figures be highly stylized so that they didn't resemble a realistic human too closely. They would have more caricatured bodies and oval-shaped heads, so that if they didn't move smoothly or made a jumpy action, it would still be accepted by the audience. They were not cartoons, nor were they human, but somewhere in between. What would this show have been like? Well, according to the WED promotional booklet for GE, guests would first experience the pre-show or prologue, The Wizard's Progress, The room would have those four full-dimensional dioramas spotlighting achievements in the life of Thomas Edison. There would be a smaller side room gallery for the final fifth diorama titled The 40-Hour Watch, showing Edison and his associates achieving their goal in 1879 of the incandescent lamp that burned for 40 consecutive hours. This was the finale that led into the first theater. Act 1 takes place in 1898 and is titled 1% Inspiration, 99% Perspiration. The days before electricity in a typical American home. Sitting in a rocking chair is Wilbur K. Watt. The characters demonstrate the newest home appliances like the washing machine, a new stove, an icebox, and even a phonograph. Basically, most of the household marvels are human-powered. Act 2 is set in post-war 1918 and is titled The Initials of the Friend. Oh, the friend's initials are G.E. Although he is not named, Cousin Orville in the bathtub with his own version of air cooling makes his first appearance. There is still the tangle of wires to run the new devices like household lighting, refrigeration, toasters, water heaters, and other appliances. Watt points out how thankful we all are for that new company founded by Thomas Edison, General Electric. It is 1958 in Act 3, which is titled Living Better Electrically. It was John Hench's idea to have the children in this scene wearing Mickey Mouse ears, sitting on the floor watching the Mickey Mouse Club on the small black-and-white television, because, at the time, this was the present. So the setting is the interior of an upscale contemporary home where mother and father enjoy modern comforts, like climate-controlled radiant heat, television, hot food from a cold oven, and a poached egg in 20 seconds. Act 4 is set in 19-blank-18, titled More Power to America. There is a question mark in the date. It's 1-9-question-mark-8, and this is intentional since this was some indeterminate date in the future in a penthouse overlooking New York City. It is an electronic island in the sky, with stars both above and below. 
The predicted products of the future include space scanners, luminous walls, self-propelled serving carts, protein measurements, programmer-controlled kitchen, which was a prototype of a personal computer, microwave oven, and other new automatic time-saving devices. Guests would have been invited to actually step on stage to experience the home of the future, but only within the three-minute time limit. At the close of the act, an interplanetary large-screen television showed Wilbur K. Watt landing on the planet Venus in a rocket ship with a GE logo as he proclaims, We step confidently into the future. The final act or epilogue is titled, Progress is Our Most Important Product. This room was called the General Electric Institutional Product Room, where GE could promote both its existing products and those coming soon. Walt was hugely enthusiastic about Edison Square. It incorporated his personal beliefs in the importance of the American family and how the future and the technological progress it would bring was something to be embraced. Edison Square appeared on the 1958 Disneyland park map and remained there until 1964. Imagineer Sam McKinn's concept art of the entrance to Edison Square also appeared in the 1959 Disneyland guidebook. Guests had every reason to believe Edison Square would be opening soon. The United States Justice Department indicted General Electric in 1960 for price fixing on electrical equipment. GE's fine was almost $500,000, with an additional $50 million in damages paid to utilities who had purchased price-fixed equipment. Three GE managers received jail sentences, and several others were forced to leave the company. GE hoped to improve their image with an impressive pavilion at the upcoming 1964-65 New York World's Fair. And what better way to clean up a tarnished public image than by partnering with the much-beloved Walt Disney, whose name stood for Quality, Integrity, and Wholesome Family Values. Walt suggested utilizing the Edison Square proposal, but with an innovative new theater that would drastically increase capacity and the development of audio animatronics that would provide greater entertainment value. With some script revisions, the show became the Carousel Theater Show, and then was changed to the Carousel Theater of Progress, and finally just the Carousel of Progress. As a result, Disneyland's Edison Square project was canceled when Walt decided to put its budget and all of his studio's efforts into developing new attractions for the World's Fair. For a time, a gay 90s square was proposed for the location that would have housed Edison Square, but this never got past the concept illustration stage. At the World's Fair, an average of 41,000 visitors saw the Carousel of Progress every day. By the end of the fair, more than 16 million people had seen the attraction. Surveys conducted by General Electric revealed that 87% of the audience rated the show as excellent and 12% as good. People gladly waited in line under the blue and white canopy-covered queue for 90 minutes to view the show. From Edison Square to the Carousel of Progress, it just goes to show that there is a great big beautiful tomorrow. Although International Street Liberty Street and Edison Square were never built at Disneyland. They had a tremendous impact on the Disney theme parks. These ideas of Walt's live on in other themed area and attractions and epitomize his optimism. The next time you visit Disneyland or Epcot's World Showcase, the Magic Kingdom's Liberty Square, or take a whirl on the Carousel of Progress, Spend some quiet time in those areas and see if you can feel the spirit of Walt Disney. Now it's time to return to what was created, and we take a look back at this week 
in Disney history. Okay, Craig, well, for this week, everything was about <laughs> the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. <laughs> Or what films, I think we had this problem last year, or what films opened? So I really tried to stay away from a lot of those questions. That's what I was just going to say. It feels like (laughs) we just had this conversation last year about all of the questions dealing with the parade. So I'm I'm ready to go with this. I, I feel confident. I feel good. Okay. Well, I if I didn't include something about the parade, I tried to put a twist on it so it wasn't the same as last year. So, okay. All right, November 22nd. Well, happy Thanksgiving, 1973. <laughs> Cold, sunny skies greets New York City for the annual Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on November 22nd. The parade is celebrating the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney cartoons. What is the featured Disney character balloon in this parade? In ni- 1963, did you say? 73. 73. Hmm. I'm not, like, 73 seems like just a, an off year. Not, I don't want to say off in that way, but I, there's no character that would pop out to me as like, oh, 1973. It clearly has to be, it would clearly be Robin Hood since that was the big movie of 73. But uh, since I can't think of anything, I'll probably just default to, to Mickey Mouse and say, why not Absolutely. Him? Absolutely. <laughs> Herald Square's lineup includes a giant balloon of Mickey Mouse. But on the ground, Mickey, Pluto, and Goofy march along Disney's circus wagon float. Disney's also represented with the Alice in Wonderland float, Captain Hook's ship, and the Walt Disney World castle float. So the floats sound better than the balloon. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, November 23rd. Elias Disney, who of course would become the father of Walt Disney, he obtains a permit, a building permit on November 23rd, 1982. So that's November 23rd, 1892, to build a two story, 18 by 28 foot wood cottage on a plot of land he purchased in Chicago last month. What is the name of the street where the plot of land sits? Ooh. You're going to have to just give me the answer to this one. I think this is one I throw in every year somehow on some date. It's Trip Avenue. Okay. Trip with two Ps. Elias will be able to keep the cost low on the cottage, about $800, by acting as his own contractor and doing much of the construction himself. Okay. And, and uh, of course, uh, Flora designed the house, too, so that really kept it down. November 24th, on Thanksgiving Day 1955, Disneyland debuts its Christmas at Disneyland Festival, which will run through early January 1956. This event includes the very first holiday parade at Disneyland. Two people led the parade. Who were they? I'm going to guess that Walt was one of them. And hmm, I mean, maybe I'm going to say that Lillian was also there with him. Perhaps, but no, you're right. The parade is led by Walt Disney, and that think of the year, it's Fess Parker's Davy Crockett. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. That <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and it features five high school marching bands and various traditional holiday elements, such as the wise men and live animals, including camels, a llama, and even an ostrich. Ooh, I d- love a good parade with a llama. It's just something <laughs> something about it just, just works out well. I don't think I'd care for the ostrich, though. I, I don't like ostriches and in a parade that just seems dangerous. Yeah, well, this is also because the uh, the Mickey Mouse Club Circus debuted on the same day. So they had a lot of the circus animals around. Yeah, they potentially so. killed two birds with one stone. They did. Hopefully it wasn't the ostrich, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, November 25th. 
Actress Eleanor Audley passed away at age 86 in North Hollywood, California, November 25th, 1991. With a distinctive voice in radio and animation, in addition to her television and film roles, she is best known for providing her voice for three Disney characters. Who are they? I know... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work backwards at this. I know Madame Leota. Correct. And... And that's the spirit medium for Disney's Haunted Mansion. Yes. And also with that... Maleficent. In 1959, Sleeping Beauty, not the live-action uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it would have been better with the live-action <laughs> version. So bring her back from the dead to do some VO, but that's the same voice. And then... Hmm. I'm, I'm trying to match the voice in my head and think about what was happening. Because there, I mean, there is a jump in in time between... Mm-hmm. Between uh, Maleficent and, or between Sleeping Beauty and and the Haunted Mansion, right there. So there's a lot of lot of years, and it could have been before, it could have been after. I'm not. I'm, there's even a physical similarity, I think, between the characters she voiced, the animated characters. My brain's not working. I'm going to let you give mm-hmm. this one to me. Lady Tremaine in 1950s Cinderella. Ooh, yeah, I should have got that. Yeah, those, yeah. it's all there. I mean, she, one of those voices where she did not have to change it much, but the characters are all still very distinct on their own. Mm-hmm. But but they are, you know, but it's all her. Just slight changes to it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, it's, uh, and if you ever see the live action, um, uh, you know, film that they took of her, I mean, oh, just you can see how they were inspired, especially um, by Lady Tremaine in her movements and stuff. Cause they used her for some of that. Yeah, I, to get some ideas. Yeah, I think I've seen some of that on some of the Blu-ray features and such mm-hmm. over the years. So, yeah. Okay, November 26th, Disney legend and pioneering film distribution executive Irving Ludwig passed away in his home in Santa Monica, California, November 26, 2005, at 95 years of age. His 40-year career with Disney began when he was hired to manage the roadshow engagements for what Walt Disney Studio presentation? Um... I... I well, I only know of... One off the top of my head, a roadshow presentation, and it's fresh in my brain because the week that we're recording this is the uh, the D twenty three Fantastic Worlds, and this morning i I woke up and I watched uh, the panel with Eric Goldberg about Fantasia and Fantasia two thousand, and of course he had to bring up that it was roadshow with you know Fanta Sound, so I'm gonna say. Fantasia, and he just lived a very long life. He did on both counts. <laughs> You're right. That's why I included this in here because I figured you probably watched that. You're right. 1940s Fantasia. And Ludwig later served as president of Buena Vista Distribution. And so it was a great panel November- that we will talk about soon. <laughs> yes, we will. In an upcoming episode, we'll talk about all those panels. Okay, November 27th. Happy Thanksgiving 1997. On November 27th in 1997, what Disneyland attraction decked its halls for the very first time with a special holiday theme? Hmm. Okay, so thinking about what gets overlays. I mean, Jingle Cruise obviously started way later and that stopped at Disneyland, so... That's out of the running. Um, then we have Small World. We have <clears throat> Haunted Mansion Holiday, but that didn't start until 2001-ish, I think. So, And then I'm not... I feel like the Country Bear Christmas also happened at Disneyland, but I could be wrong about that. So I'm kind of I'm kind of 
stuck here between small world and then potentially something with country bears. But I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna side with small world. You are correct. It's a small world at Disneyland, which I, I miss this year. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. Probably the most beautiful of any holiday themed attraction. I, yeah. And so. I mean, it, with that, it's one of the most beautifully themed just from the outside alone and the mm-hmm. lights that they put on and the show that they do on it. And, you know, oh, let yeah. alone what happens inside and transferring to jingle bells and, and all those touches just, just from the outside alone. It is, it, it is so perfect. It's just so well. Oh, yeah. The, and the, the Christmas soundtrack just cheers you up, puts you in the holiday spirit. Okay, finally, November 28th, Walt Disney writes his annual birthday letter to his younger sister, Ruth, on November 28th, 1944. Her birthday is December 6th. He writes about his next feature-length release. What is its title? Thanks for doing this to me. Um, (laughs) 44. So, so Saludos Amigos, I think, was 43. And for some reason, here, here's where I'm really struggling here, because I think I thought Three Caballeros was 45. So I'm thinking there's something... In between there. But it also, I could be off on my times on that. I'm going to say Saludos Amigos. You were right with Three Caballeros. Oh, well. Yeah. I, they're showing, I shouldn't listen to my confidence. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm amazed you remember all these years. Um, along with his birthday wishes is a check because he hasn't the slightest idea what to send. <laughs> <laughs> That's in quotations. <laughs> anyway, very good on this um, Thanksgiving-themed uh, week of Disney history. Uh, not not too bad, and uh, I'm leaving it not super hungry, so I'm going <laughs> to count my blessings on it. Okay, well, Craig, have you seen the new um, Time Magazine special edition, the Disney, Disney, the Parks, the Movies, the Magic? No, it's I out? haven't seen that. Yeah, well, I, I think I have it here. Let me have it behind me. Yeah, here it is. It just came out in the last week or so. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Showing that yet. It. Yeah, it's um, it it has. I I've only thumbed through it, and but it's pretty good. I you know the magazines must have learned that just come out every year with at least one yeah. or two Disney. Th- theme ones that must get them through the end of the year through the year but it's all it's all history um it's it's terrific so um anyway so folks if you haven't picked this up yet and i'm sure it's available on amazon but i found it in my local grocery store yeah on the magazine rack i unfortunately so, i have not been to the grocery store now in uh in quite a long time so because i was i was out of town for for my anniversary trip and i was completely cut off from the world and uh we did we did our grocery shopping real quick when we we hit the road so that way we we could uh you know just make sure that we had everything we needed and then once we got back i uh, I got back the night that the the rocket launch was happening here in in Florida with with the four astronauts on board SpaceX, that. and like we got we basically got into town at I want to say seven seven o two, and the the launch was at seven twenty six and seventeen seconds. So I like I bolted to the grocery store. I bought milk and eggs and orange juice and chicken and like i threw that in a basket and hurry up and checked out and i basically got home and 
saw the launch starting and then walked outside and I caught a very quick glimpse of it as it was moving through the clouds and it was uh it was pretty cool but yeah so i need to get to a grocery store so i can actually yeah do my magazine browsing and and see if there's any fun holiday or thanksgiving foods out now to, to oh there's up. a ton there's a ton of those <laughs> along with you know they still make tiger beat magazine i was quite surprised oh. to see that <laughs> but because um, it was sitting there too but um no and max rebo he wrote us on twitter and a listener and he wrote um, that that launch is going to be one of our trivia disdain disney history questions in the future i and i will never forget because it is the answer uh of course baby yoda was on that uh-huh. on that flight to to the yeah, international the space station yes the child whatever what it would the news is all every report i see is baby yoda was the extra passenger i'm just like uh ah. Can we can we get a name soon? I'm also behind on the Mandalorian because we we were traveling and stuff. So I'm like, one of the things I want more than than anything is can can the people behind the Mandalorian by the end of the season finally give the child an official full name that they state in the show so we can just stop being back and forth on all of it. Just just end this once and for all, please. Yeah. Well, you watch you've watched Star Wars rebels and clone wars right i watched rebels i still have not made it all the way through clone wars because i haven't watched those yet but they're bringing in elements from those shows those series yeah in the mandalorian so now i thought okay now i've got to watch these because people are so excited (laughs) i i I am excited for that that mm-hmm. crossover as much as it can happen with any of the star wars products i just i every time i start clone wars it's the animation style is just not it's not my favorite so i'll be able mm-hmm. to like knock out five episodes and then i won't watch it and it also doesn't help that the order that it was released in is not the order that you're supposed to actually watch it in so then you have to do all the extra homework with it and make sure oh i'm not doing it. that <laughs> That's too much work. (laughs) (laughs) To to each Uh, their own. So do you have any um, big plans for Thanksgiving? Oh, no, no. We're just uh, going to kind of do do our own little things. So uh, just, you know, want to be as safe as possible. So my family is coming into town, so I'll be able to see them at a distance safely with masks and, and such but yeah not just not not going over overboard with thanksgiving we'll make some food to eat so we have leftovers and, and that's about it i need to i need to start getting in the holiday season cuz i haven't had time to watch any christmas movies yet i've been playing music nonstop but um uh, by this point, I usually have at least five or six movies in, and right now I've. Watched... Oh my gosh, I, I can't do that till after thing till Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving evening, I'll start. It's, it's Although just... I'm usually, I can't do it. I I say it every. Year, I've been though. tempted. It's I I have too many. I can't I can't keep them all in between Thanksgiving and and Christmas anymore. Once once I, I, I threw in problem. all of those classics that I didn't know about before because I didn't watch them grow up growing up. Now now I have to throw those in too. And fortunately, like we've mentioned on here before, a lot of them work like in the week after Christmas or I feel like they also work in in the weeks before Christmas too. So there there's a little bit of leeway, but yeah, I, I I've got to I've got to get get in the zone, and and I am excited. I'm sad that you didn't get to come here to see Night of a Million Lights, but I believe I have two dates now that I'm getting to go over and see that. So oh, good, good. Maybe that will uh, kickstart my my holiday spirit a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I'm disappointed, but I feel better about my decision not going. So oh, uh, anyway, but yeah. <laughs> I'll be there in March. <laughs> so. Anyway, no, I'm not doing too much for Thanksgiving. It's, you know, I'm, it's me and the cats because my daughter has to work Thanksgiving. So she's not coming until the following weekend. So we're going to celebrate then. But, um, so, but I'm, you know, so I usually go down to with Carol's family in the city 
And we, you know, Thanksgiving's on again, and it's off again, and it's on again, and all that stuff. But I thought, you know, I don't want to be alone. Yeah. You know, Thanksgiving. So I'm going to go down there and, you know, just, you know, hopefully the, you know, the, the bubble of health will be there. Exactly. <laughs> and all that. And I think that, um, but, you know, I normally spend the night and then drive back. I, thought I might just drive back that night rather than spending the night yeah. in a hotel and all that. And then, um, which we used to do when the kids are really little. Yeah. And then, um, but, it was a terrible drive because everybody's going up to Tahoe for the weekend. And so it would take hours to get home again. And that's how we started spending the night in the city. And then we'd see like the Nutcracker or something the next day. But, um, and then last year, Joni and I went and saw the, um, we went to the Dickens Fair, San Francisco. And I think I yeah. talked about it on yeah. the show. And that was terrific. Well, of course, they're, they're doing it virtually this year. They're going to be doing, um, over the course of weeks or something, they're going to be showing a lot of the, the plays and things that they have done in past years that they recorded Very so that cool. you'll get the feel for it. So it's really neat and it's all free. That's awesome. That's very so cool. that is really neat. And, and then what they do to sort of support it is they're going to be like, they're doing that, um, uh, you know, like how the Diz is helping to support the cast members who have been furloughed or laid off from Disney, um, with, with them, you know, with their, uh, you know, with their, um, homegrown, you know, businesses. Um, there were a lot of vendors that that was their livelihood was traveling to all these shows like Ren, Renaissance mm-hmm. fairs and these kinds of things. So they're going to be promoting their, um, you know, their products. Yeah. As part of this, so, which is really nice. Yeah. So, well, have you uh, made it back to the Walt Disney Family Museum yet, or still not? Not yet. yet. No, not yet. I haven't gone. So, so who knows? I might drive down there at some point. So, yeah. anyway, I've, I'll definitely go when they open up their World War II exhibition, but I don't know when that's going to be now. Yeah, they're just fortunate enough that they have the doors open again, and all. Yeah, all the fun I probably should go before before they close again, <laughs> since we're going back into. We have our rainbow of doom tears, yeah. and you know we've all we've all slid down into the purple tier right now, so everything's shutting down again. Yeah, I feel like purple's a good color for Thanksgiving, you know? It, it blends well with the browns and oranges of, of a traditional Thanksgiving color scheme, so, you know, at least through at least through Thanksgiving. But then once once it gets to Christmas time, if you're not able to translate into some red or green or, or any other color that's in that that spectrum, then that's just really a shame. Because it's, yes. it should be matching up to whatever holiday it is. Yes, yes. I decided I have to go into politics because our politicians don't seem to um, follow the Rainbow of Doom guidelines, as has been in the news recently. Yes. Especially in California. And um, so, anyway, so. But um, anyway, but yeah, so hopefully. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. Good. And Good. all the food and all that. Anyway, so, and then, um, yeah, so, yeah, this week is the D23 Fantastic World celebration. I've only watched the first two so far, but we'll be talking about those in a future episode. Yes. For folks who don't have the chance to watch it, especially, we'll also be talking about the, the gold members exclusive ones. Yeah. And as, as far as we know, the all of the panels it looks like the regular panels will be available for now moving forward so you have plenty of time to catch up with them on youtube if you haven't the the question is what are they doing with with the two exclusive panels and it yeah. seems like if you go based on the different 
the different special videos they've released, especially over the quarantine period, it seems like it's going to be available probably for at least a few days uh, through the special link that they send you as long as you register. And then after it's gone, it's going to be gone. So uh, it, it, it might not be a thing where you have a lot of time. So if you did miss it, because by the point this is released, it'll already have happened. Maybe not the Friday one, if this is up and early on Friday morning, but yeah, it's if you you miss out on those panels, those exclusive ones, because you aren't a D twenty three gold member, or or you just fell asleep behind the wheel on them, then you'll be able to hear us share our thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even though the regular ones are getting pulled down after a period of time, oh, the well, then I thought I, I thought I read that. Then might be wrong. Though. Everyone needs to get on them while they're hot. So it's yeah. uh, it's I like that I like that they're not overly drawn out and you know that's just that's my short preview on it like I I will be quite honest with the first day it was a Star Wars merchandise panel and it was also the 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 uh, Fantasia Fantasia two thousand panel that I mentioned mm-hmm. and. Uh, the Fantasia one was 15 minutes. The Star Wars one was 35. I would have been more than happy to swap those two times out. And yes, I agree. <laughs> that that's not that's not share too much. Yeah, my thoughts. That yes, I absolutely agree with. But you. overall, it seems like they are keeping these at nice bite-sized bits that you can sit down and watch them without feeling like okay, I need to. I need to watch this over the course of three days to to really be able to slug through it. So I, I they, I'm I'm glad they have been making this content, and I hope everyone has been enjoying it this week. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great that they're doing that. So, all right, and you already brought up "Give Kids the World: Night of a Million Lights." Uh, tickets are available. Runs through uh, January third, twenty twenty one, and Craig will always have a link in our show notes. The promote a wonderful charity and um hopefully they'll do it next year and i'll be able to be there for it and but don't forget that our diz family reunion 2021 march 25th to the 27th in 2021 of course this is put on by give kids the world and is uh, another fundraiser for them it's a contemporary resort i have my tickets so i'm going to be there <laughs> for that one but we'll have a link in our show notes for that and um I'm looking forward to that. So, and then um, story time with Michael. We've actually got two more people, two more artists I have to get in touch with have expressed interest. Excellent. In um, doing it. Yes. We might be starting to run out of stories here, but again, if you're in, if you're an artist, you're interested in participating in the rebirth of story time with Michael by illustrating, providing illustrations for the original stories that you can find on project Gutenberg at the, um, uh, uh, well, it's the stories are project Gutenberg under the Andrew Lang blue fairy tale books. And you can download it for free. Or just read them right online. Um, the ones that so far are up for grabs is Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White, and Rose Red. And those you'll, um, you, you know, anyway, uh, take a look at those. And if you're interested, email Craig or myself about them. We can give you more information. So I have to get caught up on my email about all of those. But, and then what I'll do is I will read the original stories that probably a lot of people haven't heard and then, um, illu- show the illustrations of artists who are sharing their talent. And we'll, of course, promote if you have a site where you're sharing art, you're, you're selling art. We will, uh, of course, promote that site as well. And then, um, I'll talk a little about how Walt and his, um, team sort of trans you know transported us into the disney versions of these stories Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well so okay all right well i referred to several books articles and videos during my research for this episode including the book disney neverlands things disney never made by jim corcus some Online articles included Disney Parks blog, a look back Liberty Street at Disneyland Park, Disney Extinct Attractions, Liberty Street and Edison Square, The Magic in Pixels, Disneyland's Liberty Street, Theme Parks and Entertainment, Never Built Disneyland, 
Disneyland's Edison Square by Mike Fox. Disney Docs Edison Square. That's where you can view actually the original, uh, a PDF of the, that promotional booklet that I talked about that Wed prepared for GE. It, it was, it's fascinating. Um, couple of videos, two by Yesterworld, uh, Disneyland's Unbuilt Land and Attractions of Liberty Street and Disneyland's Unbuilt and Abandoned Edison Square, the original Carousel of Progress. And then, uh, there's one Walt Disney talks about Liberty Street that is when he's talking about Liberty Street as a, as his introduction to when Johnny Tremaine was broadcast on television. Well, we'll be taking next week off for Thanksgiving. And we want to wish you and your loved ones a very happy and blessed Thanksgiving. And we will be back with you in two weeks. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the various shows on the Diz Unplugged podcast network. And then always on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Telecluster. And then if you want to and I dangle some turkey my way, I'll probably come running as well, too. But, Michael, what about you? You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, michaelbowling-connectingwithwalt. Instagram, michaelbowlingthediz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at connectingwalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disunplug.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.